Episode 7, a youthful take yeah. coming at you. Episode 7, youthful take. Let's go. Let's go. My All name's right. Jack Salford. My name's Sam Greenberg. We're here to present the news, baby. Here's the news. So, here's our three news stories for the week. Biden impeachment inquiry. Yep. Hunter Biden indictment. Yep. And then we have a story. Let's not lower... spoil it yet. Okay, we'll, we'll get to we'll it later. We'll talk about it later. All right. Take it away, Sam. You got so, the Biden impeachment. Biden impeachment inquiry. In a press conference this week, House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy announced a formal impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden. The move was met with criticism from both sides, um, not as much from Republicans, but Democrats were saying, like, this is crazy, why are you doing this? Republicans were, um, were honestly mad. I saw some Republicans on Twitter that were angry that it was just an inquiry. Kevin McCarthy wasn't being good, doing enough against Joe Biden. Oh, wow. Which is, which is kind of ridiculous, but... What's your take teach on their, Teach their own. So my take is that... I don't think this is reasonable from Kevin McCarthy. Mm. There is not too much evidence against Joe Biden. And this is not to say that I think Joe Biden is perfect. I don't. But to impeach him at this stage, it just doesn't seem reasonable or plausible. And also, Kevin McCarthy did this without congressional approval. So, meaning that he did not have... There was no vote in Congress saying, okay, we're going to look into impeaching him. He just did it on his own. And... Yeah, it's he's a one man show. He's a one man show, Mr. Kevin, Mr. McCarthy, like in Hamilton. Yeah, you're gonna uh, need congressional approval. Yeah, you don't have to vote. <laughs> so apparently, the Republicans they have no hardcore evidence to impeach Biden here, and the right wing that helped get McCarthy's seat as Speaker has threatened that they would remove him Matt if he Gates. does not adhere to their demands. Yep, big boy Matt Gates, which makes me think that there's like a tactic employed by the right wing to like harm Biden's electability in a way. Good take. On top of this, <laughs> Gates and McCarthy's increasing tensions with each other could prove like harmful because the House does they have a spending bill that they need to pass. I feel like there's a ma- there's a very MAGA hardline in the Republican Party and if you don't fit within that, you're gonna get attacked. If you're slightly more in any way more liberal. Yeah? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean the Freedom Caucus plays a big role in, yeah. in the House. I agree. All I right. Say. Next story, Hunter Biden indictment. Jack, tell us what happened. Give us your take. All right, so last Thursday, Hunter Biden, son of, of course, President Joe Joe Biden, was indicted on federal firearm charges. He is accused of lying about drug use when he purchased a a gun in October of 2018. It's no good. Hunter is also currently under investigation for his business. This connects to the current Kevin McCarthy inquiry to Joe Biden that we just talked about. Yeah. As he believes there is a connection between Joe Biden and his son's business dealings. In like Sam, U- Ukraine, and he, that's where it was. It was the Eastern Europe, right? Shady things. I believe so. I shady don't want things in Eastern Europe. Just, <laughs> shady things. His name's Hunter Shady Biden. Hunter we'll Shady. Call him that. All right. Do you have any any thoughts on this, Sam? I don't. I'm gonna I'll be honest. I don't know enough. I agree. About this as well. I'm not that informed on the Hunter Biden things. I obviously don't think Hunter Biden's doing great things, but also, I don't know. I don't know if it connects back to Joe. I think he might just be a troubled guy, and that's the extent of it. But I mean, we're going to find out, right? With the inquiry. Kevin McCarthy, we're gonna tell find us. Out. Tell us what's going on, buddy. Come on, Kevin. All right. Last. Lastly, quick news sesh. We have a funny antidote, political antidote for everybody. Um, Congresswoman from Colorado, Lauren Boebert, oh, yeah. was recently escorted out of a theater in Denver <laughs> for various reasons, which I will now explain. So this is what kind of happened. <laughs> so what happened was... No way. <laughs> Lauren Boebert hit a vape in the theater. And there was uh-huh. a pregnant woman behind her. This is allegedly because it's called on video and the video is in black and white. So it's kind of hard to tell. But this is what is presumed. Uh, the pregnant woman asked Miss 
Congresswoman Boebert to stop doing that. She did not stop doing that. And a few minutes later, um, <laughs> Lauren was, I'll put this in the best terms I can, was fondled by her date mm-hmm. in public. And then vice versa, Lauren fondled her date <sighs> in public after hitting a vape in front of a pregnant yeah. lady. And escorted out of the Beetlejuice theater. So she's not going to finish <laughs> she watching was Beetlejuice. at a performance of Beetlejuice for children. Yeah. Uh, she did not get to finish Beetlejuice. <laughs> and Lauren, who filed for divorce earlier this year, has clearly moved on from her ex-husband. Bang. We wrote that joke like five minutes ago. We just wanted to say. We're contemplating saying that or not, but... It's a great story. But Lauren, good for Lauren, Lauren, what's going on, buddy? I mean, anyway. th- I don't know if that's professional bl- political yeah, behavior, but at the end of the day, it's like... <laughs> it's that big of a deal. It's funny, but I don't think it's that huge of a deal. Uh, but it's funny. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Lauren. Getting fondled out of kids. <laughs> was it for kids? Uh, we're going to say for kids because I read that in one article, but I'm not entirely sure. So take that with a grain of salt. But she was at okay, a Beetlejuice. At a public performance. At a public of performance of Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. I don't know how Getting how active Beetlejuice I don't want to go into the details of what... If you guys want to do it, you guys can look it up. But we're not going to talk about what yeah, exactly all right. went down. So, oh, we also want to have a quick disclaimer for everybody oh, yeah. before our interview today. So this is yep. kind of a general statement. Um... We do these interviews not as if to take everything that everyone, people we have in say. It's not, not to take that as fact. We don't necessarily fully agree or disagree with anything anyone says. It's educational. It's to provide all our listeners with perspective on politics from, obviously, a youthful, youthful perspective. That's redundant, but I said the same thing. Um, so whatever is in our interview, it's more to understand how people think, how people think politically, what the political spectrum is like, and it's not to say that everything anyone says is a fact or that we agree with it. With that being said, please enjoy our interview. We are back for the interview of episode seven. Today, I'm here with Paul Jay. Um, Paul is a Canadian journalist, filmmaker, and founder of the news organization, TheAnalysis.News, and podcast by the same name. Paul is an experienced journalist who has interviewed Daniel Ellsberg, who is best known for leaking the infamous Pentagon Papers, former senator, former Sen- Senate Intelligence Chair and Florida Governor Bob Graham, and former California Governor Jerry Brown. Paul is also in the process of making a new film, How to Stop a Nuclear War. Paul, thank you for being here. Thank you. Also going to mention that Jack is not with us today. He is very, very busy as it's Sunday night and there's a lot of schoolwork. <laughs> so sorry about that. Um, let's begin. So how long have you been interested in political journalism and current events? And did you have this interest as a teenager or is it a newer thing? Um, I would say it started from the time I could read. Mm-hmm. I started reading newspapers when I was, I don't know, seven, eight, nine. And I don't know why. I just always had the bug for wanting to know what was going on and you know, politically, but in a broader sense politically. It wasn't like I was so interested in uh, electoral politics. But like, for example, I don't know, when I was maybe 11, 10, or even younger, nine, there was a story in the Canadian newspaper 
At the time, they called Inuit Eskimos, and there was a famine in the far north of Canada. And Eskimos were literally dying, hundreds, even thousands, in famine of hunger. And I couldn't understand it, how in Canada you could have people dying of starvation. And I wrote a letter to Prime Minister Diefenbaker, Mm-hmm. And this would have been like 1962, I guess, asking why. And I got this stupid letter back, a form letter, saying, we're so happy you're concerned. We suggest you contribute or volunteer to your nearest church. Yeah. I mean, I'd asked them, you know, it wasn't my nearest church that was running the Canadian government. Was that still when Canada was Commonwealth? Um, no. No. Yeah, we're in, the, com- well, in uh-huh. the Commonwealth, yeah, but not under British, not under British. Okay. rule or anything. Anyway, I, I was so disgusted with the answer. It was one of the things that started to kind of politicize me, I guess. Yeah. All right. And then, so now you work at, or you founded the Analyst.News. Um, what did your day-to-day life look like? Uh, and what does your work entail? Well, for the analysis, um, uh, you know, I, I try to interview, uh, you know, a serious analyst mm-hmm. uh, once a week, at least, sometimes more. I have, a, I have some help doing the interviews now, so I'm not doing all of them. No, so I have to read and prep and try to understand the issues. Um, I usually try to frame my questions, uh, I, I would say, certainly differently than the way mainstream news does it. Um, I, you know, I happen to believe, it's fairly obvious when you say it, but we live in a class society, but nobody wants to talk about it. Now, you could watch news all day on all of the mainstream networks and nobody will talk about class. Mm-hmm. But what does that mean? It means, you know, everything that goes on, you know, at a political level, a policy level, it serves either the very wealthy or it doesn't. Or it serves the people and, and most stuff serves the very wealthy. And, you know, even they talk about being an American and, and nationalism and all the rest. And, you know, Trump does it, but so do the Democrats. Everybody wants to invoke the flag uh-huh. and, and nas- you, know, you know, good for the nation. But it's not, the nation doesn't exist above classes. And even Obama used to say, you know, red state, blue state, we're all in the same boat. Well, we're not all in the same boat. Yeah. And that needs to be recognized. And it's not enough, you know, once in a while, like the Democrats talk about it. The Republicans don't even want to talk about it. Do you like to bring light to... Yeah, but class but, in general, as it regards to politics. Yeah, yeah. and and that that if you really want to be serious about doing something for ordinary people, then you have to change the, the policy. You have to make sure people have decent paying paying jobs that they have rights to organize into unions, mm-hmm. and you also have to deal. And this is the most critical question that never gets talked about: is who owns stuff and where's the real power? Because they want you to think the real power is the Congress and the real power is the president. They have a lot of power. It's not that the state doesn't, but there's as much or even more power in the billionaire class. Corporations. Yeah, and who owns the corporation. (coughs) And the way they get what they want in terms of legislation. And just almost no conversation goes on about how to, you know, if you want to talk about democracy, how about democratizing ownership? So would you say, like, bringing light to corporations that influence our our uh, our government and bringing to light class in general, that's, like, the driving, your driving motive? Or, I don't want to say driving motive, but the main theme that appears in your news. I would say it's a starting point. Starting point, I see. Whether we're looking at the war in Ukraine uh-huh. 
or we're looking at American politics, um, climate, you name it, or what I'm working on now, this movie about how to stop a nuclear war, mm-hmm. where we're looking at nuclear weapon, nu- nuclear war planning and policy, you always have to ask a very simple question. This is how you get into the issue of class. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, just end it by saying, for whom? For, yeah. for whom? So nationalism, okay, great. For whom? We're not all one big happy nation here, clearly. You know, ordinary people that go off and fight in these wars don't come home and own the economy. Yeah. And, you know, other than the odd time when there's been a draft, and even then rich kids usually could get out of the draft, um, it's, it's not, you know, you know, people identify as American, identify as this idea as democracy, but what's the objective reality? There's nothing democratic about what, the way most stuff is owned here. Uh-huh. And uh, that's the kind of stuff we try to talk about. I see. All right, moving on. Um, what do you say to people who claim that your news organization or uh, news and media in general is fake? Well, a lot of it is. <laughs> it is? Do you get a lot for the, the analysis? Do you get a lot of claims like that or hate letters and say you guys are fake news? All sorts of things? Um... Not, we get some, but not yeah. too much because we don't usually buy into the official narrative. Mm-hmm. And the people that are yelling fake news are mostly yelling at mainstream media. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, the fake news claim is the one that comes from the right, although yeah. you, you can get a similar The CNN and MSNBC, yeah. Yeah. Um, the problem is, is that it's, it's not, the problem isn't that CNN and MSNBC and such or the mainstream news. It's not so much it's fake, although occasionally it is. But I don't think on the whole they just make stuff up. It's they never give real context. And they don't give any historical context. Yeah. Um, so without, without that, even if what they report, and it's not always, but let's say, even given the benefit of the doubt, when they say something happened, let's say it mostly did happen. Just to have I don't money. think they completely make stuff up. Yeah. Although uh, around the Iraq War, yeah, well, of course, the government completely made stuff up, and Judith Miller from the New York Times helped reproduce, and that really was fake news. Yeah. Um, but the bigger problem isn't the fake. The bigger problem is the distortion of the context. Um, and MSNBC uh, and CNN, for example, just to take them, you know, they can go. Maybe we should wait till the helicopter. I know. Helicopter passing by, unfortunately. That's unavoidable, but we'll continue. You know, they all they want to completely, utterly vilify Trump and go on and on about him. Which is fine, okay. Trump deserves vilification. But they never try to answer the question, why is there a Trump phenomena? How did this happen? And it's more you know, the, there is a point where you can say a lot of the economic policies of the Clinton administration, the Obama administration, of course, Bush was just as bad, but the, the right doesn't want to blame Bush. Yeah. They want to blame Democrats. But to a large extent, the Democrats have not paid attention outside of the big city. All right. Sorry about that. There's a cookie in this room and my dog wanted the cookie and she made herself hurt. So let's continue. We were discussing uh, fake news and media. Yeah, I was talking about how the 
CNN and MSNBC mm -hmm. uh, go after Trump, and to a large extent, deservedly so, uh, but out of context. Uh, and one of the main pieces of context they don't want to deal with is how did the Trump phenomena take place? How do you get 75 million people vote for a guy who denies there's a climate crisis? Mm -hmm. uh, how do you get 75 million people who have so little understanding of history and what's going on that they can support this kind of Trumpist politics? And the reason they don't want to ask the question is because they're partly responsible for it, the CNNs and the MSNBCs. But on a bigger scale, the Democratic Party basically cares very little about much of the country, it's not worth their effort and money to try to win there. Yeah, you were saying they focus on the big metropolitan yeah. cities and less so on the rural and the America. big states. Yeah, and, you know, and the states where they, you know, have lost support and feel like it would take too much effort. Not only do they not, uh, you know, seriously campaign in many of these areas, but when they are in power, they don't do much to strengthen the education system. Um, the, 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 the Democratic Party itself is too beholden uh, to a corporate agenda and don't start from the interest of what do people actually need, which is why so many ordinary people have become disillusioned and now they reach out for the what they think is the only alternative, which is this Trumpist uh, politics, which of course will make life even worse for them. But they get very cynical because life doesn't get better very much. Uh, under the Democrats, even if some of the legislation Biden wanted to pass, mm -hmm. uh, if he could have passed, was pretty good. But it's awfully convenient to have uh, Manchin from uh, West Virginia. Virginia there to kill it. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know what they would have done if they didn't have him, because I'm not sure. So then they have something to take campaign on well, 2024? They, well, uh, then they might have to pass some legislation that, that actually had some real reform in it. Mm -hmm. And some of the people that financed the Democratic Party didn't want it. So, was, you know, how hard did they really fight to get this stuff through? It's hard to say. But, uh, you know, between the Clinton, Obama, and now Biden administration, there was an opportunity for the Democrats to try to transform people's lives, and they didn't. Yeah. And that's because of the, the, where the real power is in the financial sector. And the financial sector are the, you know, really the main source of funding for both parties, but have very serious influence in the Democratic Party. And there's lot limits to how far the Democrats can actually live up to some of these promises. But the, the other piece of context that's rather critical that doesn't get talked about is that the far right has been trying to uh, both win power electorally mm -hmm. or organize coups for a long time. Yeah. You know, this thing in January 6th is not the first time there's been an attempted right-wing coup. There was a coup that goes back as far as uh, during FDR's time in uh, 1934. Um, even Kennedy was afraid of a coup uh, from the, uh, that was coming from the far right and, and the uh, Joint Chiefs <coughs> of the Army mm -hmm. who wanted a far more aggressive approach taken to Cuba and the Soviet Union. Um, there's a far right lurking, you could say, even from the time of slavery. You know, there was a civil war here where yeah. essentially the slave owners that wanted maximum exploitation of slaves, they may have lost the slaveholding battle, but that section of the capital of owners 
never lost their uh, ideology, beliefs, that they simply, God chose them to rule. And Steve Bannon, interestingly, said it quite uh, publicly uh, once in, in a meeting that took place in the Vatican. Mm-hmm. He says, God has chosen you, being the, the billionaires and the millionaires. He's chosen you to be rich. So you owe a responsibility to him. Uh-huh. Elect uh-huh. Trump, go after China. This is your responsibility to God for making you rich. I mean, it's crazy shit. Uh, <clears throat> but the, uh, the, this polarization people keep talking about in the United States, the reason there's a polarization amongst ordinary people is because there's such uh, the factions fighting for power at the level of the rich. Uh-huh. Uh, a section of them really believe in, in, in they want to go back not before the New Deal they pre- if they could they'd go back before the Civil War uh, and then you have a section especially the Democrats are more based in the cities that have you know more educated voters um, so they have to come up with a somewhat more forward looking approach mm-hmm. so the major news networks don't don't add any of this context to the major headlines yeah, saying so. There's a war in Ukraine, but none. Why or who is it, who? Who yeah. does it matter for? Yeah. So yes, I mean, I, these factions of the, yeah. the wealthy. Yeah, fact. like you certainly could blame. There's no question the Russians had no, you know, it was a violation of international law. It's a it's a war of aggression, and 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 they have their own domestic politics in Russia that drive this thing. Yeah. But you can't say NATO didn't play a role, uh, you know, and and why have this provocation of keep expanding NATO eastward? I see. It plays a role, but they don't want to talk Mm. about that piece of it. So, to put it simply, not all news is fake, or some of the time it is, but given the benefit of the doubt, not all news is fake, but the news, major news uh, companies lack context in their reporting. Well, they have class context. Class context, Because they're they're owned by... Billionaires yeah, themselves. Yeah, yeah, so exactly. the context they give is a context mm-hmm. that kind of, you know, there's there's guardrails. They don't go mm-hmm. outside them. I see. So let's build on that. What do you think um, is the most pressing issue of today as a journalist? What do you see? Well, there's two. two. You could say three. Uh, number one is climate. Climate. I was going to say that. Nuclear number war. two, threat of nuclear war. Number three is artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Wow. And they all essentially come down to the same question we were just raising. Artificial intelligence for whom? Okay. Stephen Hawking said, if artificial intelligence remains a pro- for profit, primarily for profit enterprise, eventually AI is going to destroy human society. Mm-hmm. Instead of being one of the greatest things that ever happened to human society, because it could be that too, but not if it's privately owned and if it's just for making money. The uh, issue of nuclear weapons. Nuclear weapons policy is so much about money making. Ellsberg, Wilkerson, others, they say, you know, why do we have ICBMs? Yeah. The problem with ICBMs is you have to use them or lose them. They're very dangerous. Uh, They sit in these silos in Montana and North Dakota. They're easy targets if there ever is a war. the, the reason, and they're building a whole new whack of them, because it's going to be a ton of money for Northrop Grumman and Lockheed Martin. There's no, you could get rid of them all tomorrow, and you wouldn't be less safe, because the United States has submarines that can do anything that's needed in terms of deterrence. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the other thing is climate, and it's obvious that yeah. the climate crisis is here in full steam. This summer was a real 
Yeah, yeah. it should have been a wake-up call. Yeah, we have to we have to like drastically get off fossil fuel. Uh, we have mm -hmm. to. Dr the, why isn't there a Manhattan Project? You know this project that yeah. came up with a nuclear bomb. That's why isn't there, Why isn't there a Manhattan Project for climate? There should be. I heard this. I've heard some headlines this summer of the Biden administration establishing like decarbonization plants. What do you think of that? Well, so far it's a pipe dream. Yeah. Um, I'm not. Listen, it sounds that. like a good idea. Well, the way it is now, it's been it's been waiting so long to reduce carbon emission, mm -hmm. that even if we phased off fossil fuel relatively quickly, say within 10 years, you'd still have to find a way to decarbonize. Yeah. But you have to phase out fossil fuel. Yeah. There is no approach of decarbonization that allows you to do another 20 years of fossil yeah. fuel. It was like Vivekar on, on national television, on the debate stage, saying fossil fuels are essential for American prosperity. Well, he's a maniac. I know. That, like, said that, those exact know, words two weeks ago. I've got applause. That's, yeah, that's not, doesn't but, sound good. But, but the problem of the way the Biden administration approaches it is they're putting a lot of eggs in the decarbonization basket, mm -hmm. and it's still not proved you can do it at scale. Because you need the fossil to cut out fossil fuels first? Well, no. Regardless no, of that. No, no, no. Yeah, you, I see. They're trying to make it feel like, oh, we're going to solve decarbonization problems so well, mm -hmm. we have lots of time to phase out fossil fuel. Yeah. And that's not true. There is no science behind that. Mm -hmm. Fossil fuel has to be phased out fast. Now, there's a debate. Is nuclear energy necessary or not? It's a legitimate debate. Yeah. But decarbonization... First of all, is a ton of trees. They're not even planting trees. Mm -hmm. uh, decarbonization. We might have another plane fly over us, unfortunately. But well, yeah. Let's go. Let's go. It's fine. Uh, regenerative agriculture. There's a method of agriculture that that really. Sorry. Our helicopter, local helicopter, goes over. <laughs> goes over the house every ten minutes. There's a method of. Uh, treating the soil that really increases the soil's ability to suck carbon out of the air. Oh, that's good. There's next to none of it going on. Mm -hmm. Why isn't there a massive push? And then there's another, there's a possibility, uh, of, there's a way to decarbonize the oceans because the oceans are the biggest suckers of carbon out of the air, but they're practically saturated with carbon. Yeah. So if you can get the carbon out of the ocean, it might be able to suck, suck new, more. New carbon? I mean, I don't know if that's the real yeah. answer or not. I do know... But there should be a massive we be investment. Trying. We should be trying, yeah. But none of it works without phasing out fossil fuel. Yeah. It seems like the EU is, is more further along there, what yeah. I hear. But well, I don't know. they kind of were, and now I'm not so sure. No, because the Ukraine war is screwing yeah, them all up because some of them are going back to coal now. Yeah, oh well. Well, now, after that, we're going to move into more casual round. Jack and I call this the lightning round, so um, quicker answers, like lighter questions. First, uh, what are some of the most entertaining politicians to report on, and why? Oh, see, I don't report on politicians mm -hmm. very much. Um, I usually talk to people that really know the stuff. Yeah. And, so, uh, but, but, of course, uh, I mean, Trump, yeah. Trump, yeah. yeah Trump if you just want to know about an entertaining politician, <laughs> he's an asshole. as a nutcase, <laughs> but he's certainly entertaining. Yeah. All right. And we have this one. Um, so, you, we know, I know you've lived in many different cities, like Baltimore, Toronto. Where, where else? Here, have you lived in L.A.? Yeah, yeah, I lived yeah. in L.A. a bit. Yeah, New York a little bit. The question is, what is your favorite that you've lived in? Oh, Toronto. Toronto, easily? <laughs> yeah. You go back to Toronto? Yeah, I like Toronto. Yeah? Although, oh. I, I mean, I like New York. New York's interesting, New York too. Have you ever lived in Europe? 
Uh, not for any great length of time. I've traveled a lot, but I haven't mm -hmm. really lived there. But uh, I like it. So Toronto number one. Yeah. And finally, um, so you have a lot of experience in the interview and podcasting process. Uh, do you have any advice for Jack and I on how to improve our podcasts in general? Yeah, what I said earlier, uh, get beyond the surface. Yeah. Because everybody else mostly is doing surface. Yeah. And ask for whom. Just right. keep asking that question. Uh, it doesn't matter what education. Okay, for whom? You know, the, the, the elites right now from, don't care if most of the population know any history at all. In fact, they, I think they prefer they don't know any history. And most young people don't know any history. Mm -hmm. So you've got education for whom? Because it's not good for people not to know history and, and certainly not to know a, a more real history. So start asking those kinds of questions. You'll get it will be more interesting too, because mm -hmm. you don't want to just say you know do the same thing everybody else is doing. Yeah. All right. That is all. Thank you so much. Um, and once again, we apologize. Jack can be here, but he will be here for the next segment. So see that. Show time. It's game show time. All right, we're just going to get right into Let's it. Let's go. Actually, to preface this, we are currently taking a push, and we... AP, based US, our, AP U.S. History, for all of them now. To clarify, yes. And we devise our questions around what we have currently been learning. Shout out Zach push. Lipschitz. Let's go. Shout out Zach Lipschitz. All right, first question. I'll oh, you get to go first. I'll go all first right, buddy. this time. All Let's right, yeah. It. I like that. All right, you're here. In colonial times, which five European empires had territory and is what... In what in what is today, sorry for that, North America. the United States. Oh, the Ex United States. I'm going to exclude okay. Hawaii because I don't really know, like, which... I don't know who... Which, yeah. 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 Um, all right. The British. The French. Like, five is a hint, so I'm giving you... You have to get five. The Spanish. Yeah. The Dutch and the Russians. Wow. Yep. I'm impressed. Let's go, dude. The Russians. Because, you know how I got the Russians the one? The Russians were a good shout. Because they tried to take part of California. Yeah, we're in California right now. It was like... Get out oh my of your, gosh. Get out of Russia. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Screw the Russians. All right. Oh, it's my turn. Right. Sam Greenberg. Who was the founder of Rhode Island? Roger Williams. That would be correct. Roger Williams. Your dog. Roger Williams. It's always been Roger Williams. Give me Roger Williams. All right. Jack. Yes. What region of North America was the French and Indian War fought over? The Ohio River Valley. Oh, he got that now. All right. <laughs> okay, I'm him. Okay. <laughs> Sam Greenberg. Yeah. What four colonies made up the New England colonies? Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, New Hampshire. I'll accept that answer because that's the correct answer. <laughs> Damn. Damn. What are okay. we both? We're both two for two. Oh, I forgot to mention the score. It's currently 4-2 because Grand Fisher carried Jack last week. All right, bro. But... Shout out Zach Lipschitz. Right. Next question. Shout out Zach Lipschitz. <laughs> okay. Third question. This is an easier question. This is not a push, but who cares? Uh, okay. Who is the current president of France? Does he not know? I don't know. Oh, my God. You don't know? No, I don't. This is a freebie, buddy. Shit. All right. I just swore. All right. It's okay. Everyone's... Who cares? We apologize for that. Give me Pierre something. <laughs> Pierre Emerick of Bumiang. No, it's actually Emmanuel Macron. 
Oh, Macron. Macron. You, Macron. Right, we gotta know that. All right, I think I made just one. Last week's the last one. Sam Greenberg. Yeah. What was deemed as the first battle of the Revolutionary War? Battle of Bunker Hill. I'll give you another guess. Because I'm, cause I'm, cause I'm him. The first battle? The first battle. Like, like honorary battle or official battle? What is deemed as the first battle of the Revolution? Like when the Redcoats it's were pretty, acting... It's pretty, like... Well known? Yes. The Boston Massacre. I like that answer, but... Oh, no. when? The battle... No, the battle of Fort T- no. Tonga, Tonga Lobo. One more guess. Come on, Sam. I don't know, I don't know. Okay, the battle Hill. of Lexington and Concord. Oh, I should have known that. Fuck. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so I, sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I just said that. All right, hold on. Do we have to go to OT or something? Or is yeah, this OT. Let's come back. We'll be right back. Oh. All, All right, right, we're back. I have my question. Sudden death. Jack, which country... <laughs> Hit me! This is early A-push. Which country did the Incan Empire reside in? Modern-day country was the Incan Empire. Mexico? Peru! Am I giving that to you? No, because no, I corrected my you. answer. I'll give it to you. You get Peru. Peru, yeah. yeah. Um... Oh, it's my turn. Yeah, oh, pressure's on me. So pressure's on me. Can you name, name me the three lakes right above Michigan? I think the Lake, first one Lake is Michigan? in... Lake Michigan? Lake Michigan. This was in one of the Satara Games summer playlist quest I mean, games like, you have to know. Another one's really popular. It's one of the biggest lakes in the world. Lake Superior. Yep, last one. I, I, I don't know the names of all of them, bro. Lake Erie? So it's with an H, no. No, I, I, I'm not. I'm not losing. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be mean. I'm not losing because I gave you Mexico. And... <laughs> no way, bro. I'm not losing. No, no, I'm not losing. Can you get the third lake? I know lakes. I look. I know Lake Michigan, Lake Superior, Lake Erie. I don't know the one those are in age. Lake Huron. I would not have known that. I'm not losing because you said Mexico, right, bro. If it comes down to it, we can negotiate. We're going one more. Do you have another question prepared, Jack? I do have another. I do have one. Well. All, right. All right, Jack. You just it, said Peru was the uh, former was former Incan Empire. Hold on. <laughs> give, me the, give me the country directly north of Peru. Directly north of Peru. Yeah, I've been there. Hold I've been on. to this country. I'm thinking. This country has. All right, never mind. You, you can directly do. north of Peru. Yeah. Would not be Bolivia. No. That's south of Peru. That is south. south of that's Peru. southeast no, no, no. of Peru. That I know. I know. North is, is it not Ecuador? It's Ecuador. It is Ecuador. Oh my god! Right. I had to visualize it. All right, Sam. I had to visualize. I had to vocalize. Who was seen as the father of California mission settlement? Friar. Juan. <laughs> Friar Juan. I don't know, but the, one of the Spanish conquistadors. Junipero Serra. I would have taken. What? Junipero. Serra? Serra. Juan Ponce de Leon? Not him. That Fernan, guy's a dog. Fernand right? Cortez? No. I, I just said who it was. No way. It's a bad L. Did I lose? This I, lo- is I lost. This is an L, Sam. I lost. I can... Yeah, so Maybe. what is it, 4-3? Four, 4-3 three? Four, three now. We got a bit of a comeback going on. Who knew? I'm unhappy. Who knew I'm him? I'm unhappy. 
All right, that's all from our game show section. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Hope yeah, you enjoyed the enjoyed interview. Episode, episode 8 will be coming soon. See ya. Peace. I love it when Sam's sad. Mm-hmm.